0: personalized chat and service so check out hubspot's new service hub to use their ai tools to give better support to your customers that's what they want and that's what they deserve so visit hubspot.com service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with ai to your customers all right what's up everybody it's july the whole world is locked down or not locked down we don't know what the hell's going on but uh, me and sam just recorded this episode. We talked about a bunch of things. We talked about a project that one of the podcast listeners has launched, an erotic newsletter that's doing $6,000 a month very quickly, and I think he built the project in about a month. We talked about this crazy thing called GPT-3, which is this AI project that came out of OpenAI that everybody's losing their mind about. We talk about BNI, this old-school business referral network, and then we talked a lot about – Sam asked me a bunch of questions about life at a big company which we're not sure if it's interesting or not. So I think we're going to put it at the end of the episode. We're going to chop the episode out of order. We're going to toss that at the end. Maybe it's not, not interesting. Maybe it's interesting. It's up to you guys to decide. All right. Hope you enjoy this episode as always. Let's do it.
1: All right. What's going on?
0: Dude, I had like a perfect day yesterday. I did everything that I'm supposed to do, which is great. Like I, perfect in the, in, the, in that my actions were perfect. Um, so I feel good.
1: And where you are, I, I, I'm obsessed with weather. Where you are, high of 82 today, currently 72. You have nice California weather.
0: I was just outside. I take all my calls by the pool. It feels fucking great. It's excellent. Can't complain. So
1: in San Francisco, San Francisco has been horrible weather lately. It's currently 60 degrees. So it's been like 60 and cloudy the past week. Do you think you're happier with the sun?
0: For sure. Yeah, for sure. Greenery and the sun, uh, you know, I'm a human. I think that works on humans. So
1: my wife is from Manhattan. Like her mom and dad live in like the heart of Manhattan. And she's trying to convince me to move to New York. And my down, so there's two, here's the pros and cons. The cons are New York's pretty like objectively horrible weather. (laughs) like at at least nine months of the year it's just like cold and like kind of wet and gray yep and then taxes suck and then like it's pretty it's fairly dirty
0: right and And crowded
1: and the pros and crowded and the pros are like you're you're like if sometimes if you're in the hustle and bustle it can make you more ambitious and it can be inspiring but also wear you out but so my question is where you've moved out to there's way less people it's more space do you think that the risk of getting fat and soft is worth the being happy with space and weather?
0: Yes, given where I'm at. If I was 24, I'd be like, yo, this is not the right move. In fact, when I was 23, 24, I was living a sweet life in Australia. And Australia is like sunny. You go to the beach. People don't work that hard. Uh, everyone in the country basically has a truce like, yo, I won't work hard if you don't work hard and we'll all stay you know, at the top. And I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm definitely going to become – less ambitious, less motivated. Uh, I'm going to become less of a person because I'm not going to challenge myself if I stay here. I'll be so comfortable. But now where I'm at, 32 years old, sideburns are all gray, you know, got a kid, got a wife, got a dog. For now, it's that slow down pace and being less in the hustle and bustle. And having experienced it, I'm good. I'm ready for that next chapter now. So so this is I feel good about it. But then again, I'm human and we just justify whatever the fuck we do anyway. So but I I believe it. I don't I don't think I'm talking myself into a into a bad decision. I think I'm in a good decision here. Especially now that everything's online, dude. I, I actually believe this. Silicon Valley is on Twitter. Like Silicon Valley moved to Twitter some number of years ago and like San Francisco, you know, South Bay new york london it doesn't matter twitter is where the heart of the action is actually you can build a world-class network on twitter you can get access to great conversations you can see ideas and get you know become a part of them you can raise money through you know through the internet twitter is silicon valley i'm pretty convinced of it
1: yeah i agree i i i've been getting sick of it lately uh i'm like i don't want to it's been getting a little uh what's it called uh you can say Twitter H- homogenous. Yeah. Uh, so I'm having to like follow different stuff. I watched the um, this docu or this TV show or the Ford versus Ferrari thing, and they were in like racing cars, and I was like, "This is way cooler than the internet." I need to surround myself with these people.
0: Dude, I had a moment like that where yesterday I was listening to. I opened up Clubhouse, that app that's like uh, still in beta, I think.
1: Yeah, I um, quit using
0: it out of principle. It was like, you know, the notification was like, Mark Andreessen is talking to, you know, whoever, you know, a bunch of people. And so I was like, oh, Mark Andreessen's on. I, w- I went in and they were talking about like, if an asteroid was coming to the Earth, what would be our mitigation strategy? Uh, and they, it's like, you know, they had all looked into it. And I was like, who looks into this? Um, you know, they look into this like I look into conspiracy theories and like I look into the the drama behind MTV is the challenge. So, you know, they were like, Oh yeah, I've read about our, what we would do and here's what would happen. And then I like happened to like kind of swipe and just like miss, like, I like switched apps into Twitter. And then at the top of my feed was the guy from Barstool, Dave doing a watermelon, watermelon eating challenge against this kid. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna watch this instead. And I was just like ch- opted into like the mindless entertainment of that. And, um, no regrets that choice. That was the right choice for me. <laughs>
1: and so i i agree a similar topic have you seen the tv show peaky blinders
0: i actually started it i watched 15 seconds of it i haven't gotten into it i watched yesterday i started it
1: so i love that show and i love boardwalk empire and uh i started started re-watching peaky blinders from the beginning and the the for anyone listening it's uh fiction historical fiction so it's mostly fake but supposed to be based on real stuff but it's
0: it's like a crime family or a mafia or something
1: yeah a little bit yeah so they just like it's these this guy thomas shelby and he has this family of five or six family members and they start out mostly illegal so gambling selling liquor fighting betting just like your traditional 1920
0: gangster story of me and your life yes yeah
1: (laughs) then they get a little bit legit but they're always still kind of doing bad stuff they just drink and smoke and fuck and fight and just all bad stuff just not bad stuff but love vices and i was like this guy's way cooler than like mark zuckerberg like let's just like
0: <laughs> mark zuckerberg on his uh, surfboard with his white face and huge ass
1: <laughs> yes i'm like dude this guy like this guy's a rock and roll star whereas like
0: Mark Zuckerberg wouldn't survive a day in Peaky Blinders. <laughs> right. But,
1: you know, who knows? Maybe. I mean, he's pretty gangster, but in, in a <laughs> dork way. But right. <laughs> uh, it, it was just like, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, I need to figure out who I look up to.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's a good point. Uh, you are who you admire. And, uh, and like, you know, whatever, no judgment. They just go through, you go through phases. And I think both you and I are in a phase where it's like, or at least I'll speak for myself. I went like pretty deep on the admiring the people who did great things in tech and startups and kind of modern day business. I don't know you shifted to like, fuck modern day, historical business is where it's at, historical pioneers and settlers and shit like that, generals. And then, uh, but it's cool to admire different things, but not get stuck in the admiration. And so, um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question to ask yourself. Who do I admire right now? And then should I, st- should I stay admiring them or do I need to switch it up?
1: Well, and also I read a lot of personal finance stuff. So I read a, lot, read a lot of subreddits around personal finance stuff. And some of it, it's like people who have high net worths and how they're doing personal finance. And they're like buying a $3 million home and they're like making all these justifications and or buying a fancy car. And every once in a while, I'm like, the only justification for me doing this is because it's fucking cool. And since like we need to remember that, that, doing something just because it's cool is oftentimes a wonderful reason why you should do anything and it's a life worth living and like i get i get too caught up in like um well you know if we if i annualize this out over 15 years like it's (laughs) right like it would be cheaper yeah and i'm like oh yeah but also like rock and roll like let's just do stuff just because it's awesome that this is that's i just it just makes me happy
0: there's um you know, people say like, you know, what advice would you give to the 21-year-old self? And like I asked that question too to when we have guests on here. If you were 21 again, what would you do? Um, and it's, there's all this like, what would you tell the, your younger you? But also good question is what would 12-year-old you or 21-year-old you say to you now? If, 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 if 18-year-old me or 21-year-old me came out of a time machine and got to see 32-year-old me, what would he say? He'd be like, dude, you got fat. What's up with that? Like, yeah, yeah, this is all cool. But like you got fat. Aren't what? you lose,
1: aren't you getting fit though?
0: I'm getting fit, but like to 18 year old me or 21 year old me, this would be fat. And he'd be like, Wow, that's lame. Or it'd be like, dude, you're a millionaire? Like okay. What are we doing with all this money? What is the cool shit we're doing? Like, are we going here? Are we gambling? Are we are we taking our friends on trips? And it's like, oh, you're buying equities? Like, all right, well, like <laughs> you know, so I actually like the other way. I want I want in some ways twenty year old it's like I think forward 20 years and I think backwards 20 years would 21 year old me um, be proud of the way I'm living my life and then would 51 year old me be proud of the way I'm living my life and these thought experiments help me make these adjustments and get out of the fog of like just the or just the routines that I'm in because these routines are really fucking dangerous
1: i I agree with all of that and the, I think it's good questions to ask it's I find myself asking that stuff all the time of like it's just it's so easy to get. Caught into this optimization type right. of mentality. That's, and this is what I told. We had a meeting today at my company. I was like, you guys, less optimizing, more innovating. Like, let's, right. let's remember, let's just do cool shit and not like worry as much about the click through rates. Right. <laughs> well, you want to bring up BNI?
0: Yeah, so, okay, two two topics. Actually, I want to start with a different acronym, GPT-3. Yeah,
1: um, I, I've been talking to Sam about it, and I've gotten access.
0: Oh, nice. Okay, great. So g- give people the simple explanation. Sam, simple explanation.
1: Ah, uh, man, I... It, it, there's a lot going on let's make it really simple okay. which okay, w- which this? is do you, do you remember smarter child when you were a kid that uh <laughs> oh, yeah. that AIM aol <laughs> that AIM bot where you could ask it the weather and you could ask it like is god real and it would come up with like things re- it's like that on steroids so from my <laughs> understanding it's a uh, it's an ai tool where you can you a lot of people are using this thing so the guy who's, who was the leader of Y Combinator quit Y Combinator to become the CEO of this and it's basically this I think Elon Musk is considered a founder as well uh, it's basically this engine where you could tell this AI bot to do stuff and they do it for example someone's like create a website where there's the Google logo and a search engine and somehow this bot like turns it into a search engine and it just so happens to look like Google.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, I don't even know what GPT GPT stands for. So uh, that's how much I know about this. But basically, you feed it little inputs of text, um, but you can also feed it actually images they've shown as well. But most people, what they're doing with it right now, they feed it small snippets of text. So for example, somebody can feed it a snippet of – you can just say – you can just ask a question and it will answer like Smarter Child. Then there's a, there's a website called learnfromanyone, I think, .com. Someone built a little tool, which is you pick who you want to learn from. So you can learn be like Einstein and you can ask a, a physics question and it will answer based on what Einstein would say to this and it's like shockingly good. And so you can kind of like pick a teacher and then ask a question and then you can get an answer from that teacher based off of whatever that teacher had put out into the public domain that this this uh, this algorithm has ingested, all, the, all this like raw text from the internet and through it has found, okay, what would this person say? And so there's all these crazy use cases. Like you said, like um, I have a friend, Sharif, who's the guy, his tweet went viral where he basically was like just described what he wanted a web page to be and had spit out the HTML code or the JavaScript code to build that site. So he he was like, make a to-do list where I can add a to-do and then I can mark a to-do as done. And then it actually built an app that was a to-do list app just off of that description. That was your buddy? Yeah. And he did, he did the Google one, too, where he's like, um, put the Google logo up top and then add a search bar and that two buttons. One says search, one says I'm feeling lucky, and then return um, return the answer to whatever question is asked in the search bar. And he built, like, a Google competitor. <laughs> it spit out a Google competitor. So,
1: but let's talk about, like, real. Like, do you think that this is actually going to be legit?
0: We all know that AI is pretty transformative trans- technology. It's going to be whenever... AI you know as AI progresses, it'll be the next big tech shift. you know the previous tech shifts were from um, you know non-computers to computers, computers to the internet, th- from the internet to smartphones, and now it's smartphones to um, AI and that AI is either really narrow like it can only do a specific set of things, which is like when you see an AI beat the best go player or chess players or poker players in the world. That's very narrow. it can only do that one thing. Or if you said, okay, this AI is gonna identify faces, and it's like, cool, facial recognition. That's a narrow AI. This seems a lot more general, and the more general AI gets, um, the more exciting things are, because that means it can do a lot of different stuff that you can't really predict. And the the kind of if you want to get real futuristic and crazy, general AI or AGI, as they call it, is considered the last invention, the last human invention that will ever be needed, because once you have AGI, then AGI invents everything else.
1: What like I think I'm a little bit of a normal like a pretty normal basic ass person when I think, well, this is just like the end of everything I ever believe in. <laughs> right?
0: Believe in meaning what? Like I don't know what's man made versus all, created by a robot?
1: There are what is the point of a human being? Like we exist to do work, I, I think. Like we exist to like do stuff. And if this thing is doing everything, then what are we supposed to do?
0: We're gonna consume it and we're going to become entertainers and podcasters and artists and we're going to the, in the if you take the long view when this gets really really good we're all just going to be playing video games and making art.
1: Okay. Uh well, this thing can definitely do that already like but do you think it's actually good?
0: You mean is that a good outcome?
1: No. Do you think that this technology is good, good at enough. the Yeah. Or is it well, still pretty basic and overhyped?
0: It's, it's not good enough, but it is shockingly good. Like when you're like, oh, it's like when you see your niece after like three months and they had a growth spurt and you're like, whoa, like you're, now you're up to, wait, last time you were, came up to my, my hip and now you're like, I, I level with me somehow or whatever. Like now you're up to my shoulder. Like that's crazy. You're still not a full grown adult, but like, damn, I didn't realize you grew this much. That's what happened with this project is there was a, damn, I didn't realize it was this good. Um, we're like, holy shit, these conversations seem very human. Like somebody put in like the first half of their, um, blog post about how to run a board meeting and then it spit out the second half and finished the blog post about how to run a startup board meeting. I was like, wait, how does it know that? How does it know what I would write in my blog post? It was like kind of indistinguishable. Um, the first half and the second half and the first half was written by a real VC and the second half was written by the robot who was just basically guessing what the next word should be. Uh, which is like kind of insane.
1: I almost want this to fail. Like, I'm, yeah. like, nervous. So.
0: That's not going to happen. Yeah, that's the best inventions. They always say, like, the best technology seems like magic. Um, and when you see real magic or you see magic, you're, like, a little bit scared. Like, when you see David Blaine do some crazy shit, you're like, whoa, hold on. Hold on. What's, what's going on here? How did the card end up in my boxers? It's like, that doesn't make any sense. That's kind of how this feels. It's a little bit scary.
1: So, But that's my question. Do you, do you think that w- w- what your buddy did, do you think that it's actually good? Or do you think it's like, do you think that it's still like a, a, a car in 1930?
0: It's still like a car in 1930. Uh, and I don't know what those cars are like. But basically, in a sandbox, if you can control the inputs and you can kind of play around with it, you can demonstrate, you can create really cool demos, really cool, even prototypes. We're not at products yet. But we'll get there. Like this GPT- GPT-3 is improving on GPT-2. So it's like, fuck, how good is 4 going to be and 5? Like it's like the, you know, the original iPhone really wasn't that great either. Um, and then now it's like if I can I'll watch movies on my phone and, you know, like it's amazing. And like things get amazing pretty quick. And so I think this is going to get amazing pretty quick.
1: I – yeah, I'm, I'm a little in awe. So I, um, I've, got a, or I've applied to get access and I've talked to Sam about it. And he was like, yeah, our, the person who gives access is, is uh, on vacation for like two or three days, but they'll get back to you. <laughs> like, all right, well, I guess I'm waiting on her to reply. But I, I want to use it for writing articles on the hospital. Yeah, I was going to say,
0: you guys should write the news through a robot one day, you know, basically like one day that, we and just see what well, happens. Well,
1: that's what we're, yeah. So I'm waiting to get access for that.
0: Um, yeah, we'll wild. see. I wanted to run our transcripts for our podcast uh, through it. I basically just wanted to be like, "Hey, it's Sean and Sam talking." Um, what what would we say if we talked about X? And I bet it could recreate our you know stupid conversations.
1: Well, can't you silly. ask your buddy to set that up?
0: Yeah, I can't. I, I got so I'm going to bring him on. So next week, I want to do a segment where I'm going to bring on the guy who built that thing, as well as either Furcon, who's kind of my trusted tech, like you know. A sounding board because he's also realistic he doesn't get caught up in the hype um and then there's also this vc at founders fund who wants to come on and talk about it um and so who the young guy delian yeah delian. i don't know him yeah um he's kind of a troll yeah. on twitter
1: good i like that uh well i'm curious to learn more i just feel like i'm not smart enough or educated enough to actually know what's legit and what's not and i want to know like with your buddy was it as simple as you literally just type into google doc and you tell this thing what to do and it does it or does it require more is there more stuff to it
0: yeah we'll, we'll we'll ask him so yeah we're noobs but we know enough to know that hey this is inter- this is interesting this is worth understanding more
1: yeah but uh, it's like there's so there's been so many things like that where i mean there's a lot of i'm like oh my god this is amazing this is everything and then you dig a into lot of false it. starts yeah yeah so all right what's b and
0: i Okay, BNI. So let's go to the exact opposite end of the spectrum—the most fucking dumbed-down, old-school thing that I discovered that I didn't know about. So BNI is a business referral network. I don't even know what BNI actually stands for either. Is a company? BNI is a company. Go to bni.com. So these guys, um, I think, are making about fifty million a year. And what they do is, let's say you start a local chapter. So this is kind of like the Vistage model that both of us are interested in. Like, um, so so this is a little bit different though. So, what happens is they have 10,000 chapters and they have 270,000 members. Uh, So, you can do the math on kind of how much they're making in their membership fees. But the way it works is in a local chapter, there'll be like one, let's say, financial advisor, one plumber, one, um, you know, whatever the other occupations are that people have, Uh, a whole bunch of like kind of self employed people. And it's a referral network. So, it's like, cool, I'm in this chapter, I meet you guys. You're my homie now. So, now whenever I know a guy who needs a lawyer, I'm going to refer the lawyer in my circle to any of my customers. I'm a financial advisor. And whenever you're, hey, lawyer, whenever your guys need a financial advisor, you refer them to me. And so, it's a referral network for, uh, for basically tradespeople to swap customers. And super simple idea. Obviously, it drives a lot of value in that if I, you know, every business wants more customers. And if this is a trusted way to do it, great. And it also has the kind of benefits of like you meet other people who are kind of in similar bu- buckets and you're like, oh, cool. Like we're kind of brothers in arms, except for you do law and I do financial advising. And then this guy's a mechanic and then that guy's a whatever. Um, pretty cool. Been around for a while. Hadn't heard of it. was 1985. Yeah. I'm I looking it all up now.
1: Is this a – the guy who is the chairman of it, He just his photo, he looks like a slick – he looks like us
0: so we're looking at a photo he's got his hands on he's on stage he's trying he does the thing where he put a keynote speaking thing of his which is always a tell that this guy's insecure and then uh, i mean he could be he could be a great guy i mean wearing a suit and tie hair slicked back so that's why sam's saying what he's saying we have to paint the picture so people understand why you would just say that yeah
1: and i'm not actually saying this guy nobody knows we don't know this guy i don't know but so is this a scam? This is so weird to me. The first, the top searches is BNI a pyramid scheme. <laughs> that's what the top search is. Like if right. if you type in BNI,
0: yes, I believe that. And um, you do think it's a pyramid scheme? No, I, I believe that people would be curious about that because it's organized like a MLM in a way. You become a local chapter owner, then you recruit members in your local network, and then all of you pay dues to the mothership. And like that's you know whether it's affiliate or Actual, like, uh, you know, um, MLM, like, that's a similar model. And so I understand why people would be skeptical. Um, but I found this really interesting. This is something a business I had never heard of.
1: Uh, I'm looking at it now. It says they have over 270,000 members. In 2019, members generated $16 billion in revenue through referral business. I just never would have thought that this many people would buy into this. Yeah. You know what I mean? How be, you, Yeah, I'm a little flabbergasted. I'm looking at everything I can. I'm flabbergasted. How'd you find this?
0: uh i was talking to somebody uh, like so i run these mastermind groups right and i was talking to the guys and i was kind of like yeah i run three of these groups now and they're like oh it's great you know you have so many people signing up i want you want to open up more and i was like yeah but i don't know if i want to do this anymore i kind of tired of these uh like this is kind of a lot of work and then i was like you know there's these interesting like either i want to scale it up and make this a big deal or i want to wind it down and not do it at all like i don't want to be in this like little bucket where i'm like doing a few and it's kind of a time suck but it's not making a shit ton of money um and so he one of the guys in that ben one guy ben he told me about this and i was like oh interesting i never heard of this and then they were all they were actually all aware of it which i had never really because they're all small business owners so they had been contacted or you know offered to join this thing
1: yeah what i've learned about though so i i've been investigating this those these like groups they are they they do scale it is hard work Yeah. It is very hard work.
0: Yeah, this is your business. It's not like a, like, it's like everything. If this is your business, your business is going to be pretty hard work. And this is actually a pretty decent business. I think it's a good, I think it is a good, well-designed business. Uh, there are many worse businesses than, than this one or the Vistage YPL model also. And so, uh, but you'd have to make it your business, which I don't personally want to do.
1: Do you want to talk about uh, one more thing? Yeah, sure. Wait, did we talk about the erotic newsletter?
0: I don't remember. Did we bring this up already? We did not. know.
1: Okay. okay. said, so, uh, a listener to the podcast launched an erotic newsletter two months ago that is currently making 6k a month and uses Pornhub as an acquisition channel. I don't know anything about this, but let me tell you guys some background here, which is I've done tests by creating um, like Audible for erotic novels. And in the process, I learned a few things. One, women are absolutely willing to buy this stuff. Two, erotic and like romance novels is like the is I I believe it's the largest category on Kindle and it's the most engaged category and um, I'm a man so I think of this differently but like women like this is pretty much like porn to women like uh, this or uh, this audio like for a lot of women it was they just loved like these uh, audio books and written texts that describe uh, sex and all these types of I don't even know how to discuss it like such because it's so foreign to me uh, but like, there's all these subreddits where it's like, where they just like write erotic stories, and then there's like Wattpad and all these websites that get hundreds of millions of monthly unique visitors, and all they do is write erotic stories. It's just right. It, yeah, it, it's totally new to me and and so interesting.
0: And Abreu, do you know uh, more about this? Can you tell us more about what he did? So, so the the guy's Latana. He's a cool member of the of the group. He's done other projects too. He he's the one who launched that church uh, tipping app as well, Alter. Um, He seems to be a hustler. What's his story? Yeah, that was basically it. He had launched the church app. I think it launched, but I'm not sure if he's still working on it. He's got another business, which I think is growing. That's his main thing. And that's like, uh, you can it's book. An influencer thing, right? Yeah, that seems to be doing well. It's like an influencer booker thing. And then he did, just did this as like a side thing. He has someone running it. He basically set it up
1: in a few weeks and is using. What is it? customers. What is it? You sign up and what do you get?
0: It's so like an erotic story, like every week or however. Ha- have you read it. any of them? I pray you. Uh, I have not. No, that is the truth. Dude, do your research. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was doing do you know it. the name of it. What's, What's the name, it? name of it? Yeah, hinge I talked Club. to this kid. What's it called? You want Hinge Club. I right, I gotta go to it now. Hinge. Club.
1: Yeah, like Hinge, like a dating app.
0: Yes, Hinge Club. It's for uh, it's erotica for uh, Black women specifically. All right, beautiful.
1: Hingeclub.com. I can't find the URL. Yeah, neither can I.
0: We should bring him. We should bring him on for like a ten minute segment. I want to hear how he did this. I also want to hear about using uh, Pornhub as an acquisition channel. What that's like. I've never done. I've never done anything like that. It's um, hitclub.substack.com. Okay.
1: Hinchclub.substack.com.
0: Okay. okay. One quick idea, and then one, um, one, one, one story. All right. Quick idea: uh, employee onboarding at a company. So. Every company onboards new employees. So, so prop, pain point every company has. I, I've hired somebody. I need to onboard them. Uh, every company kind of bakes their own little process, and there's you know not really like a seamless way to do it. It's like, oh, okay, cool. You're going to – hey, talk to the IT guy. He's going to get you hooked up with X, Y, Z. Uh, talk to the HR person. They're going to get you hooked up with you know ABC. Uh, talk to your manager. They'll tell you about this. Oh, this other thing, you'll learn about it four weeks later because we forgot to tell you about it. Um, oh you should get some swag or like a computer like there's all these different systems right I think rippling is trying to do this um, uh, in one way but I'm curious if there are other angles to it rippling seems a bit like the utility side of things like the uh, the getting set up uh, side on payroll with with your IT stuff what about like this sort of human side of things so how do you uh, how do you welcome employees how do they learn about your company culture how do they is there like a an easy way to do these, like, kind of customer, uh, sorry, like, company culture, like, training, indoctrination, welcome to the cult type of things. I think companies really care about culture. I think they care about, like, people learning, like, what it's like to work here, what the origin story is, like, of the company, all these good things. And there's a lot of, like, folklore that gets passed down and a lot of, like, tribal rituals that get done informally. Can you do that formally? Is a kind of a question mark. Can you do rippling, but for the info, for the non utility stuff?
1: Is that a question? Do you think that people have, or a problem that people have? Like,
0: I think so. Because, like, for example, at Twitch, I know that one of the earliest employees, like, there's only a few OGs left now, or you know, eight, nine years in, or whatever. And one of the OGs was putting together like a kind of a, a little booklet that was like, "Here's the like history of Twitch, like all the cool crazy moments that have happened in the company." I history.
1: do like a, uh, I, I, I do that with you. These. Do like a welcome thing, right? Yeah, where I say like, here's like the history.
0: That's hard to scale, right? Because it's like you're using the most valuable people's time, which is good. They get FaceTime with the CEO and whatnot. I think small companies deal with that that way. But as you get bigger and bigger, those become less less personal and also harder to do every Monday, you know, Um, because every Monday you're hiring new people as your company grows. Like I don't I don't know how many people you guys hired this Monday, but like you probably had either you know between zero and one employees hired per week uh, max. Right. And like, but at a bit, at a bigger company, they're hiring tens of employees or even hundreds of employees per week. And so how do you, um, get them in? So I, I think there's a service there. There's like a welcome week and you go through the, the boot camp of the, of the company and you like, you get both the utility stuff and the, inf- and the fun stuff, but they're all pretty lame. And, and, and as the world goes remote, I wonder like, can you simplify this to being a link? and can that be a really well designed page that tells your story that tells Well this about is what we've discussed
1: earlier Sean of like like a high school newspaper paper for your company.
0: <laughs> right but that's like with the recent stuff i'm saying there's just like, it's like this is more like a drip campaign right it's like everybody needs to go through this sequence of getting this information and you don't want to be the one retelling that joke manually every 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 day. I know
1: but if you build this product that we've discussed over and over again I Which is, I think you can do it. Yeah, like what you've just said is you need a drip campaign for a company that. So you need like a media company for it. it it's quite, <laughs> I mean, it is quite fascinating. I understand what you're saying. I haven't. I, I don't want to work on this because I think that that is kind of boring. But I, I understand the need and I right. I totally get what you're saying and I I bu- I'm, I'm bought it.
0: So and also a bunch of people, I think three different teams have reached out to me since we got excited about that idea and are working on prototypes of it. So I'll show you when we when somebody has one.
1: Um any of them have cool names?
0: I don't even know if they have names yet of the thing. They're like, We're working on that thing you said. Here's the mock ups. And I said, All right, send me a link when you have it. Uh when you have a prototype. I'm very and, interested. Uh okay, one other last last little thing. So are you a basketball fan? You don't follow the NBA much, do you?
1: Uh, during like the playoffs, I'll, I'll pay attention a little bit. Why? Right. were you talking so, about the bubble?
0: So the bubble started, uh, there's something interesting here. So in general, um, sports leagues are trying to come back. They're having great difficulties doing so. The NBA is trying like the most robust attempt at this. They're creating like a, uh, biological seal, a bubble, basically. The, Aren't they
1: like at Disneyland or something?
0: It's in Disneyland or Disney world. Sorry. Uh, in Orlando. And, um, Basically, it's like a summer camp for rich NBA athletes. And so and like,
1: they're like complaining that they're like, they put them up in like a Marriott and they're like complaining. They're like, oh my god, <laughs> there's only one room in this
0: hotel. They're complaining about the room because at the beginning when they come in, they have to quarantine for seven days. And uh, so it's like seven days not leaving that room. And so anybody, even if you just stay in a hotel room... Yeah, I would, days, that.
1: That Ugh, I, w- I would hate that. I would retire.
0: The food that gets delivered, they're showing the food looks like, you know, worse than my middle school lunch somehow. I don't know why they're serving these guys such horrible food. And then... Um, they can't have like their side chicks come to the, the place because it's like a, a it's a bubble. They can't have new people coming in. Uh, so like you know these guys who are used to being you know out there you know you know <laughs> popping bottles at the club they can't do that anymore. So all these funny things are coming out. But what I thought was interesting. Hey, I'm just interested. In, can sports come back? You know during COVID, and I'm an NBA fan, so I'm into it. But the second cool thing that happened was a bunch of the players because the only the, there's only like two media members in the bubble. And so they're reporting on ESPN. But way more interesting is all the stories and vlogs that are coming out f- direct from the players inside the bubble telling their story. So there's one guy, uh, this guy named um, uh, Matthias – I don't know how you say his name. I think it's Matthias Thiebel. So he's kind of like a rookie on the 76ers. Not that great of a player, but he's, he's cool. He's an interesting rookie. Uh, but he's doing vlogs to like Casey Neistat. And so oh, that's pretty neat. He started his thing two weeks ago. Or when they entered the bubble, which is like ten days ago or so, he put up his first vlog. Didn't even he started his YouTube channel? He's already over two hundred thousand subscribers. Casey Neistat posted a comment on the first video, being like, "This is awesome, well made video." And like this guy was, this guy was like geeking out about Casey Neistat. He's like, "Dude, I love your videos." I, yeah, I'm trying to emulate That's your style. That's awesome. And he's like a multi millionaire NBA you know athlete. And. Um, so I think it's cool what's going on, and these guys are telling. They're showing the food. They're showing what they you know, how the COVID testing works every morning. They're showing these little Disney Magic Bands that the buzz in, and if it's green, you can go into this area. If it's red, oh, you gotta go get tested again. And like, and I, it reminded me. The reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of people ask me, oh, how do I get more customers? How do I market my business? I just want growth. Could you have any marketing ideas for me? And this is like the universal marketing idea. And I saw this. Uh, Heat and Shaw tweeted this out the other day. He goes the timeless content marketing idea, show your work. And I was like, this is so fucking true. Um, and that's what these guys are doing. They're just showing their work. They're, they're going about their life as an NBA player and they're just showing it and that they're editing it into a good vlog. But like it just works and this works for your company too. If you don't know how to market your company, just show how you're building your company. And trust me, that will bring you attention. Yeah, uh,
1: there's so many different words for this. It could be like document, don't create. There could be uh, show your work. There can be um, uh, learn then teach. Um, It's like it's the same thing, though. It's just like do everything out in public.
0: Right. Ryan Hoover always says work in public. And I I used to say that I like show your work a little better because I remember taking math tests back in the day. And like you could get the wrong answer. But if you showed your work, you'd always get partial credit. And if you got the right answer without showing your work, the teacher would mark it down. And it's sort of the same thing in business. If you're showing your work along the way, even if your business is not successful yet, you will get a, whole, a big halo effect. If people want to work there. I mean you guys do this. You guys put out a lot of content. Uh, you know, Barstool does this even more. They show the yeah, behind I, the scenes.
1: I like posted the job listing that we had. I got like 200 applicants in 24 you, hours.
0: You've, you've shown your job listing. You've put out your, writer, your writer's guide for your writer's. You've put out like um, what else did you put out? Have you put out more stuff that you've worked in public? A little bit.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna create a newsletter course.
0: Right. So there's like a whole bunch of things that you can do that are, and, but there's there's more that are just like showing the life of um, right you trying to do what you do. And it's easy. And it's it's easy. It is. It does take time, but it's actually quite fun. And it well, what I mean honest. is, it's simple. Right. Right. Exactly. It's in your control, and you don't need to look for some other external genius idea. Hey. Here's a simple idea that will work for everybody. And it works for some better than others. So like for example, it will work well for you because your customer is also business oriented and a business owner or an aspiring business owner. So you showing how you build your business, it brings you customers. Your customers are directly interested. For others, it's more niche. Like a portion of your audience will care about that and a portion won't. But the portion who cares will like love you. And that's really ultimately what you want to do with marketing is get people to love you.
1: Yeah. Most people are just really bad at creating content. Um, but this stuff definitely helps. Like you just write what you are learning and you post it on hacker news and you do that 10 times and probably two
0: of them, (laughs) two of them might work. Right. And we should do that with this podcast. We should be like, cool. How we grew the podcast to a million downloads in six months. Like that's an easy thing I should be putting out there to, to work in public to, to show our work about how we're building this podcast up. Um, that people would be interested in that I haven't done, so I got to take this lesson for myself as well.
1: Yeah, well, uh, let's fucking do it.
0: Great. Uh, I'm gonna write a book called Hundred Great Questions," and I'm gonna write the best questions that I've that have helped me in my life. Either questions for yourself or questions you ask others. Hundred great questions. I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to writing that book.
1: That's a great. That's a great one. hundred great questions. Yeah. when You because I feel like you already have like fifteen.
0: Yeah, I have a little note sheet on my little like because sometimes I'll hear somebody ask a question, I'm like, oh. Great question. I'll give you a really simple example. This is not a this is not a great life question, but this is a great question. Um, this is like more of a management tip. So this probably wouldn't make the book, but I'm gonna say it anyways. You know when you are talking to somebody, and this often happens with engineers. You're talking to an engineer, and you're like, "All right, when is this gonna happen by?" And any leader is always asking their team, "All right, I want this thing to happen. Well, you want this thing to happen. You say you're doing it. When is it gonna happen?" And like, you know, the problem is people suck at forecasting and predicting things and also there's this weird like incentive like first like i'm kind of overbearing when i say shit like this i get like really i'm excited but it sounds aggressive and so they're like they don't want to say too long because they'll they know i'll be like what the fuck like we're planning to do this in six months like that's way too long um also they don't want to say too short and then not deliver that because they you know they, they don't want to be seen as somebody who missed it so they don't they kind of sandbag into like some middle ground um so I've always just like been like, fuck, people suck at predicting. This This question is useless to ask, when are we going to have this buy? And I was in a meeting the other day and Dan, who's my manager at my company now, he's way more experienced than me. He's like kind of the, the gray haired guy at our company, super smart and way better at managing people than I ever am. So he he asked, so, so the CEO of Twitch asked this question, when are we going to have this buy? And I could see the person... Shrinking and trying to like go through this. Do I do I underestimate, overestimate? I have no idea what the real estimate is. And then Dan came in and he goes, "Let me ask you a different question. At what date would you be surprised that this hasn't happened by?" And the person like relaxed and they were like, "Well, you know, I'd be shocked if if we didn't have this by Q three or whatever." And they were able to like answer a different style, like just ask a better question, get a better answer. And so I was like, "That's a different way of thinking what about this." What
1: date would you be shocked that
0: that it? That- if it if we're sitting here, what date would we be sitting here? Would we be surprised that this hasn't happened by or shocked that it hasn't happened by now? Um, that becomes the upper bound. Okay, cool. Now I know that. And it's like, you know, what's the, and then he has another one, which is sort of like, what's the soonest you could expect us to start to see results from this? Like where we would look at it and we would be, you know, we'd be smiles in this meeting because we'd see some, some tangible results. And that became the lower bound and I was like dude this motherfucker is a smooth operator like he knew how to get to the and the crux of this answer I always want without like the bullshit of the person's psychology getting in the way so I like that little one
1: this is not going to be about an idea but something similar that people will like and I'm just going to interview you a little bit Sean so I've never worked at a company really I mean I've worked at my companies and you up until recently worked mostly at your companies. Um, but now you're working at Twitch with 2000 people. You also interact, I I'm, imagine with a lot of Amazon people, which is supposed to be the best of the best. So I have a couple of questions. First is your company. I think was kind of similar to mine, which was mostly young people who were inexperienced, but smart and kind of figuring it out.
0: Very much. So yep.
1: now you're at a company that does it have a lot more experienced people?
0: Yes, very much. So. Okay.
1: Uh, so what I want to ask is, does that matter that the people are experienced,
0: do you think, or not? Like, um, Yeah, I don't know if it's experience, but there's a certain level of wisdom that comes over time. And also, um, I wouldn't say it's everybody, right? I would say everybody is more experienced or just like generally smarter, better resume, better talent than the people that we recruited for the most part. Because we were recruiting these like kind of – Underdog, jack of all trades, non-specialists who had never done it before, but were hungry and were smart and could learn, and we were taking bets on people. And we were. But just is that good? Out. That that was good for what we had. So now I realize, because at some point I was like, "Dude, when do these people work?" Because my calendar became booked. Every thirty minutes was a meeting. And I was like, so when do I go work? Because I was used to, you know, you probably did this with your company, less so now, I think.
1: But I, we had a meeting today at our all hands and I go, well, we're going to start, we got to, you guys, let's innovate instead of optimize. And also like, uh, cancel all the, cancel all meetings and start over. There's way too many right. meetings.
0: Right. So, so I used to do that where I'd have a couple meetings a day, two, three max. And then for the most part, I was working on something. I was looking at the data. I was trying to figure out what to do. I was work sitting next to my designer and like working on a feature or sitting next to the marketing guy and working on a campaign or engineers figuring out what the fuck's going on. And, um, I felt like I was in the work and I felt that that was real. And now I'm like, the schedule is just meeting, 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 meeting. And so when I first got here, I did the normal startup guy thing where you judge a big company. You're like, yeah, these fools, you just sit in meetings all day. Nobody here's doing any real work, blah, blah, blah. I think there's an element of that's true. But what I figured out was okay, what do you actually need at this, at the top of these companies, right? This exec team, like the top, like let's say 20 people of this company. Um, That's like 1% of the workforce. And this 1%, their job is basically to be this, like uh, two things. One, they have to be the accountable party to everybody. So they need to be like good cop or bad cop, depending on what's needed for their like chain of command. And so um, if Even if you didn't do any work, if you're the scary meeting of the day for the next layer of leaders and the next layer of leaders below that, you become a forcing function that helps that whole org work. It's kind of abstract, but that's one job that you have. The other job that you have is basically to call bullshit and redirect when you think that resources are being wasted. And so you sit in meetings all day and you're like a computer. You're like, I feel like I don't use my hands anymore. My brain is just in a vat and it's in this like vat and and basically I'm – I I come into the meeting, there's a memo I read, so I'm ingesting all this information, and then I make a decision at the end of it, or I approve a decision at the end of it. That's all I do. I approve or I make a decision. Um, Or sometimes I audit when I'm like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Why why does this have all these holes? And... um, That's the role of an executive, I think, in a big company. And, like, we we try to say it's about all these other things. Like, it is about recruiting, sure. It is about strategy, sure. It is about setting up systems, sure. But, like, fundamentally on a day-to-day basis, I'm a brain in a meeting room, and then I get fed information, and I either approve, or I make a decision, or I audit a decision that's being made. That's all I do. So, do you
1: like that? No. Uh, And – do you think that the people that Twitch is, needs to run their company, these high highly paid, probably very wise, older folks? Who, I
0: people with great judgment. Whether you're great judgment because you're experienced, great judgment because you're a domain expert, or great judgment because you have awesome intuition on some shit. Like, whatever. It's a great judgment person. Typically, easiest way to get there is a bunch of experience.
1: So do you think that those folks actually make the company better? Or would you, do you think it would be better if it was just like a bunch of startupy people like you hired,
0: yeah, I think they make it better, but I think they are great with established systems when you need to innovate that brain in a vat doesn't work um and so but you know a company of this size that's doing so you know so much revenue so many has so much users for most of the company is just to make sure the ship keeps growing naturally and reducing risks like oh you know like I, I bet I was actually thinking about this the other day I was sitting in like a two hour meeting that was about a topic that was like, there's a whole team called trust and safety. I bet at the hustle, you don't have a trust and safety team or like a, um, you know, Facebook, I don't even know how many resources now, how many millions of dollars, how many thousands of people are just working on the like abuse, spam, porn, uh, fake news and like account takeovers, fraud. Like there's just a huge amount of that at any big company. Cause when you get big, you become a target. And, um, so you have a huge amount of your emphasis is just on that. And that's just making sure the, the ship doesn't sink. It doesn't make the ship faster. It actually makes it slower. It doesn't make it like go to new destinations. It's just making sure this valuable thing doesn't sink due to the, all the vectors of possible attack. And I was sitting through these meetings, and I hate those meetings because I'm not good at that. My brain doesn't help there, and I get super impatient. And uh, But now sitting there, I recognize like, holy shit. I didn't even know this was a problem that big companies have. I you know if you had said it I would have agreed but I didn't understand. I didn't really understand how much time and energy goes into shit like that.
1: At what point did Twitch become this thing where it no longer required innovate and maybe like innovate like saying they no longer innovate innovate I'm sure they would disagree. So we and 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 they're probably and it, It could be argued they're like, well, we do innovate and they're right. right. So that's maybe not the best word, but basically huge, drastic
0: changes kind
1: of is what you're saying.
0: Yeah. I I think the first three, three years, three to four years were more of the scrappy innovation hustle, throw shit at the wall. Oh, there's something broken. Uh, I don't have time to fix it right now. I got to work. I'm going to keep growing this thing. And like, yeah, we'll deal with that later. You know, Um, I think that was the first three or four years. That's my guess. And we'll bring Emmett on. I, I got to bring Emmett on. He's got a shit ton of business ideas too. So I'm, gonna, I'm gonna How
1: know. will they innovate? You know, Amazon has kind of definitely innovated even after... I mean, you know, Amazon had like 2,000 employees, I think, after three years. How do you think that they were able to continue to innovate? And how do you think Twitch will be able to continue doing that?
0: So... I got put on basically the core, like one of the core, like innovation or like big, like new things at Twitch because basically Emmett was like, okay, this guy's like good at that. He's a startup guy. He's good at the zero to one phase. Most of our company, the people we hire are not the zero to one. They're the one to end. They're about growing an existing thing that's working and making it work better. This guy's good at making something that's not working or doesn't even exist today exist or work. And so he put me on that. And basically what he did was he carved out a team, called it a strike team. Other companies call it a tiger team, a SWAT team, or whatever. And so he carved out a strike team. He said, what do you need? Uh, name my resources. He's like, boom, here's your resources. So I have basically a team of 30-something people. And um, and I actually wanted less. He was like, don't you need more? I was like, no, 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 less. In fact, even 30 is way too many. I, I actually think I need less initially. And so we started smaller. So, yeah. We started smaller than that, but, but it quickly adds up. And so um, – and he was like, okay, you know, you guys are going to operate over here. You don't have to do these traditional processes. You're going to report directly to me. And uh, you have a clear mission and you have a blank check and um, break all the rules. Actually, you, you're new here. You don't even know the rules. Good. Go. And so that's what he did. And we've made like amazing progress to date because he was able to carve out a system like that. And I think other companies – um, frequently do that. Now this was in response to like a risk to the company. So companies are good at like, oh shit, there's a risk. Boom, assemble the SWAT team. Facebook always had this thing called lockdown. we will go into lockdown and nobody leaves till we solve this problem type of thing. And so that's as a risk. Then there's other areas where it's like more opportunistic. It's like, eh, it'd be nice if like we should be innovating. I think that's harder for big companies. Big companies are pretty good at responding to like existential threats and risks, at least more so than just continued innovation driven by their own motivation, you know?
1: And Emmett, when Emmett started the company, he was a college kid. uh, And it started as one thing. And then after six or eight years or something, I mean, a while, it evolved into Twitch. Uh, How do you think he has done going from being a college kid who's just like creating some stupid thing in his dorm room to now running a massive?
0: I think he's great, but I, I didn't know him before. So I only know him. I've only known the guy for a year. And in that year, I'm like, this guy's great. He does all these – you know. I can see – he still has the entrepreneurial edge and the like – in the meetings, he'll be like, cut the bullshit. Like we need to go fast and like why are we not going fast? And then we'll be like, oh, excuse, excuse, excuse. And he's like, OK, cool. Let's kill all those excuses and let's do it. Um, and he has those moments. But um, there's all the other shit you have to do to run a large company that's managing a p and and trying to get profitable and is mature and you have to deal with these trust and safety issues. And like I know that wasn't his base – Strengths. Like his strengths are – he's super strategic. He's super smart. He used to be a programmer and now he's not programming. He does strategy stuff but he's not the product person anymore and he's got all these people in his company. And so I think he first surrounded himself with other people. So he hired Sarah who was the CEO of Pandora. She's the CEO of Twitch now and she's a great operational like kind of – she can whip an organization into shape. Then he brought in Dan. Dan was at Google. He ran YouTube's engineering and product and then he was at Nextdoor as the CPO so now he's the chief product officer essentially of Twitch and Dan knows how to also run an organization. So what Emmett didn't know he brought in people to do it and then he just kind of kept doing the thing he's good at, which I think is the right way to be. And like, you know, I said that thing about a brain in a vat. Like he, he literally just sits in a meeting room essentially all day and a different team comes in and then they have a memo. And his, his job is to read the memo and respond in a way that like helps the team be better in some way. And – this dude, like within five minutes, the memo is digested. He's figured out the – like he's found the one inaccuracy of the memo. He'll call that out. And he's found the two like important things of the memo and he'll focus the discussion on that. He does that better than anyone. I think he does it better than anyone because he's probably been doing that, that one exercise for five years straight. And plus his brain already had like very high horsepower. So it's pretty impressive.
1: I like I, – I enjoy talking about this because I think that when people who are listening and me included are building companies – you forget that you can build your own reality and you can kind of make it what you want to make it. And I enjoy hearing about this because sometimes I'm wondering, I'm like, which, which reality would I enjoy? Right. And so I like hearing about other people's reality.
0: I, I also looked at his life now and I was like, I would not want that life. And I thought that's what I wanted, which is really actually important. Right. When you realize your dream is, is it actually a nightmare, not a dream? And it's not that extreme, but like the dream of what if I built a big company, like a Twitter or a YouTube or a Twitch And I was a CEO and we had this really unique – we were the market leader and we had this cool company culture and all this bullshit. Um, When I see what his day-to-day is like, I'm like, okay, I think it would be cool to build a thing like Twitch, but I wouldn't want to be the CEO of this. I don't want this headache. This headache is not a fun lifestyle for me. Well, I
1: think people don't realize is that A, it's shockingly boring and B, you actually have to just do a lot of negative stuff all the time.
0: Yeah, the, the amount of time that he's thinking about what is the future of Twitch, how do, what's our strategy, how do we get there, how do we build an awesome culture um, is small on the pie chart compared to dealing with headache of the day, headache of the week, headache of the month, and then like recurring headache of the year. And like those are – it's mostly dealing with pain in the asses, either people or problems. And, but that's what he gets paid the big bucks to do, right? But I realized, well, shit, that's not what I would want as my lifestyle uh, which is good to know because that's what I was shooting for before. So it's good to see it and be like, oh, swerve. I, I love hearing the story.
1: I love hearing this stuff. So I did
0: one smart thing, and I recommend anyone does this. So I, I, I think I mentioned this before, but I asked Emmett. I said, "Hey, can you send me the earliest pitch decks, memos, meeting notes, anything you got from the early days of Twitch? Just go to your email, sort by earliest, and just forward me anything with an attachment." And uh, he did, he sent me a bunch of stuff. And so I saw the first slide decks when they're pivoting from Justin TV to Twitch or his user interview notes when he called a hundred streamers and was like, hey, how do I get you to switch to Twitch? You're on this other platform today and how they became the market leader. Um, And just seeing the way he, and now it's funny because like, now everything's so structured. It's six page memos formatted in a certain way. Like you have to say, you don't say like growth is really strong. You have to say, we grew from X percent to Y percent which is plus or minus this percent month over month, which is plus or minus our quarterly goal. And that's the format. And if you ever say something like, you know, um, things are going well or this is a big risk or whatever, like you need to back everything up in this formatted way. But back then, like his, obviously his players were like a startup, right? Like it was just, you know,
1: shoot from the hip. Yeah,
0: shoot from the hip. All right. So then I went to this guy, Ethan, who's become kind of a cool little mentor of mine. Ethan is like, uh, uh, L10, which is like one of the top levels under Bezos, um, at Amazon, at, and he's, he runs the Prime division. And so I asked him, I said, so here's my email to Ethan. I said, AWS Origins, that's the subject line. So I said, were you involved at the birth of AWS? Such an incredible business. I said, was this a high-profile big bet that they knew, oh, this could pay off big, let's bet big? Or was this like some unassuming little project with modest aspirations that happened to become a monster? I said, did this start with one of those six-page memos? Is that memo now framed and hung on the Hall of Fame walls? I've read some articles, but I want to know from the inside what actually went down. And so, um, this is great. And so then he was like, he's like, I was around, I wasn't directly involved. And so then he answered question by question. He goes, it started small, as far as I know. He goes, there's three three little services, you know, Simple DB, S3, EC2, a database, storage, and compute. It started with a small team of engineers, um, which is like the Amazon two pizza team. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Like. They want every team to be small enough where yeah. you can be fed by two pizzas. Um, and he's like, you know, S3 came out first. It worked. Uh, it was, you know, modest fanfare when it launched. But then EC2 came out. It was an instant hit. Hockey stick growth. No looking back. We all realized, holy shit, this is actually going to be pretty big. Um, we started adding the services. And then um, those services we added were just – we just looked at what people were doing on top of EC2. And, oh, they're hacking that together? Let's build a really good service that everyone can use that does exactly that. Um or, hey, they're using the service in a way that's end up breaking it. Let's quickly protect the service and make sure it can't break in that way. Um, so he's like, if you think about like a VC portfolio, AWS was three bets. One was a we can get our money back with a little bit of profit acquisition exit. Like S3 was like a small win. EC2 was like a unicorn IP that went to IPO. And one was a small loss, which was simple DB. But you know how, you know how it goes. The unicorn pays for all the other losses that you had. Um, so it ended up working out. How does this match with the with the public lore, the public story? And then he lastly came and, and I, I came back and I said, you know, this all kind of is interesting matches up. I said, how come AWS didn't do payments? You know, it seems like payments is a core infrastructural service. Stripe did that. Stripe was basically AWS Payments and built like a $25 billion company. What happened? You guys launched payments early on. Why didn't it work? And he was like, you know, our failure in payments was due to us like wanting to narrowly control them um rather than our old playbook which was give up margin and and use that to get to mass adoption um every every pr- payment thing we ever done is flopped we overthink it always um stripe was a big win but we didn't catch it and um and then he was he was looking for the memo to send me the original memo to send me and i was like i love being a internet historian in this way i don't know if i love this stuff but
1: i love hearing that another thing is that um i was listening to a venture Madonna or i forget whichever guy gave Bezos their seed money and apparently he was telling a story when he interviewed him he was like Bezos was like yeah man i think i think this might be a 100 million dollar business right and uh, i i just love hearing those stories like that
0: yeah and there's there's people who tell these other folk stories like so for example and you got to know that a lot of this is bullshit so uh, chris saka is pretty famous for this he tells stories he's like the greatest entrepreneurs i know from the first conversations it's like they could see in the future. They knew he's like, I remember I bumped into Kevin Systrom from Instagram in a co-working space. And he was telling me like, you know, he was showing me his little app that nobody had even used it. It was just on his phone. And he's like, yeah, like when we get to 5 million members, we'll do this feature. When we get to 50 million, we'll roll out this feature. And he's like, I remember thinking 50 million, dude, you're smoking crack. Like nobody even knows what the hell your app is. Um, he's like, but he knew. And so there's like, it becomes a story. He's telling this on CNBC. And then, I've heard Peter Thiel tell the story of like, you know, I'm on the, I was the first investor in Facebook, and Facebook was doing well. And then Yahoo, or whoever, I think Yahoo, offered them a billion dollars to sell. And Mark came into the, the board meeting and was like, hey, you know, this shouldn't take long, maybe five, six minutes, just a formality, but yeah, we've received this offer. We're obviously not gonna take it. And and then so Peter Thiel's telling the story to make Zuck seem like this, like, you know, this monster who just kind of always knew, this like this omniscient who person who just knew what the future was gonna be. And was so courageous to just turn it down, no brainer. And you know, us mere mortals would never do that. We would be like so excited to get a billion dollar offer. But then you hear the real stories behind these things, and apparently, um, and I'm gonna have uh, Josh Elman come on and confirm this story. But from what I know, Zuck did say no to the initial offer, and then Facebook started doing kind of like had like kind of a down year. Um, Growth was kind of low. They took a down round, but before they took that. Zuck actually went back and actually agreed to a deal to sell to Yahoo for, I think, a billion dollars or 900 million. And it was going to happen. And then, like, uh, a week later or so, uh, Yahoo came back and tried to renegotiate the deal down to 650 or 750 or something like that. And Zuck was like, all right, fuck this. Like, no, we're not taking that deal. And they went back to independent. But, like, let's not forget he was going to take that deal. And, like, same thing with all these other, you know, famous stories of, like, oh, you know, Chris talks about Uber. He's like – Travis Kalanick, he would come to my house in Tahoe, sit in my hot tub, and we'd talk about how we're going to destroy the taxi industry and all this shit. Yeah, but also Travis Kalanick didn't think this was a big enough project to be CEO of and, like, recruited a random CEO of Twitter to kind of run his pet project until he realized this thing's going to be big, and then he took over. So, like, let's not pretend like these things don't have humble origins and really humble beginnings. And, you know, Zuck was like – you know, there's interviews of him on a college couch being like, why does this have to expand past colleges? It's just a cool college thing. It doesn't have to be more. And like now he's putting satellites on, you know, above the earth to give people in India internet access so they can use Facebook. Like these things start humble.
1: I think that like there are occasions like I've been reading Henry Ford's book where it's like there's definitely people like him and Edison who are visionaries. And it's like, oh, everyone in America should have lights that those people exist. But then there are also people who are described as visionaries. And it originally started out as like, isn't this neat, this little widget I made?
0: Yeah, Google. They wanted to sell for a million dollars. They were happy, they were happy to take a million dollar offer, and they just didn't get it. So they kept going.
1: <laughs> so I I love hearing those stories.
0: Uh, okay, that's all I got. This is a long episode. Tell us how this was. I think this was my, maybe a C minus episode. Give us give us a grade. Just throw a letter at us on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handles will be in the description. Just tweet at us a letter grade, or go on our Facebook group and give us a letter grade. I want to I want to know what you guys thought of this.
1: I guess we'll find out.
0: But yeah, hope you enjoy this episode. As always. Um, cool. See ya.